Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Today, I'd like to welcome our guest, Yuana from the US. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So can you give us your your life's journey to where you've got to today? Yes, yes. So uh, when I was pretty much my journey starts a little bit early on. So when I was a kid already, there were some things that were a little bit off. Um, I had uh, a lot of nausea and a lot of kind of GI problems, which only later on in my 20s ended up that it was gastroparesis. So having difficulty kind of with the the stomach digesting, everything taking a lot longer, which probably did not set me up for success later on as I probably wasn't absorbing a lot of nutrients and that didn't help. Uh, Also had some other kind of weird, interesting neurological symptoms with my hands and my feet. So kind of there were a a few things that were off as, as I was as I was a kid as well. And um, as I got a little bit older and I had uh, pretty much I had a surgery, things were kind of slow for me to recover after the surgery. And as I was uh, recovering super slowly, a few months later, when it was summer, I started uh, when I was walking outside, I started getting uh, chest pain and palpitations as I was walking outside. So generally it was triggered when it was heat. So I'd be walking and it was um, maybe just mildly hot. And it would, my chest would start hurting. Um, pretty much my heart felt like it was hurting. The pain would radiate to the left side of my body, up my face, down the left side of my body. And it was just quite scary. And, and you know, the, the palpitations were quite forceful. And that made it really, um, yeah, that made it really difficult. So I started going to, to see doctors and I started trying to see what's, what's going on. One of the first ones thought, I think he said I might have some kind of, you know, kind of heart damage. So a few of the cardiologists were quite concerned and a few of the other ones were saying, oh, it's just anxiety, it'll pass. So as the years continued, pretty much my problem was a seasonal problem only, only in the summers. Um, and so every single summer I would go to the doctors and every single summer it'd be kind of a range of, it's nothing to, well, maybe it's something, but we don't know what it is. Maybe try not to move too much. So it was kind of a lot of uncertainty for those years. Obviously with that, there were other symptoms, but because I'd had random symptoms since I was a kid, I kind of just said, okay, well, that those don't matter as much as the heart pain does and the chest pain and everything else. And um, finally, after four years of that, um, it started getting to the point where my symptoms, I was inside and my symptoms started bothering me inside in an air conditioned building as well. And at that point, it was kind of my day to day, I would I would wake up, and I would be just if like the palpitations would be quite intense upon waking up, it felt like like I was on a roller coaster, I would be really dizzy, I would be really nauseous, they were just every morning, it just felt like a wave of symptoms hit me as soon as I woke up. And trying to get ready for anything would just be would just it would just completely exhaust me, there was no more energy left. So I'd have to kind of, you know, get up from the bed and go rest on the couch, lay down. And only at that point, then same thing throughout the rest of the day, I was completely, I was nauseous, I was dizzy, I was in pain, the symptoms just kind of started adding up. And at that point, too, every time I did stand up, my heart rate would go to maybe one 170 uh, beats per minute. So it always felt like I was standing, like I was just standing, like I was running a marathon. So that made it really difficult. Obviously, same thing day to day. And just when you're feeling that kind of constant, like fight or flight in your body, it, it just makes it so harder to 
even be with others or to interact just because you feel like you're always trying to regulate or trying to just be okay and not be overtaken by the symptoms and the fact that there's just so many of them you don't know what the next thing is going to be you can't you can't sleep at night it's really all over the place so finally at that point um, I was diagnosed with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and they did a tilt table test they confirmed it and then the years that went on afterwards I was also diagnosed with quite a few other things that often are seen with this such as um, EDS and MCAS so mast cell activation syndrome um and the symptoms at that point, I was put on beta blockers, which actually helped quite a bit. I was able to at least go for short walks and I was able to stand up a little bit more. Still, all the other symptoms were there, obviously, with the fatigue and the dizziness and the nausea and everything else. But at least the, 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 the heart rate was a little bit more controlled. And I felt like I had a little bit more energy to at least stand up and more or less do day to day tasks. And then obviously, because in a way, the beta blockers are kind of just blocking that symptom, they were kind of masking it. There were a lot of other things that started going on underneath the surface. Obviously, the problems with the mast cells got worse. And too, then I just started being reactive. Anytime there was any kind of, even like a, any kind of chemical, and like if there had been a chemical and somebody had cleaned in the space where I was, it, it was difficult for me to, I, I would be in pain and I would get the chest pain again. I would get redness and I would kind of like puff up. So I started getting all just a lot more symptoms, just my body was kind of just slowly like disintegrating year by year. Although, you know, I was taking the medications, obviously, as you very well know, Linda, like, you know, you go to the doctors and they don't really have a lot of answers for you a lot of the times. Um, so that kind of just continued in that same path. And then at some point, I think I'd pretty much hit a, a rock bottom of the symptoms are getting worse. And I realized that um, I, I was on sick leave and I realized this, I, I don't, I, I realized I didn't know how I could be be working, I realized that this was like a full-time job of just taking care of myself. And I started thinking maybe there's something else that, you know, that can be done and kind of similar to you when you started going on your, your own path to find out what, you know, what can be done. And one of the first things I started doing is kind of trying to, to really pace a lot better. Cause I realized so much of my day-to-day -day was kind of up, down, up, down, like kind of just, there was not a lot of stability. And as a result, I was constantly in a way triggering my body too, whenever I would go into this kind of fight or flight mode. And through that, I then slowly started actually getting a little bit better too. And it felt like I wasn't, it was more stability. Also, I still had problems with energy. And then that's how I kind of um, came across pretty much uh, functional medicine. That's how I came across the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy. I started uh, training there. And that's when too, I discovered the power of food and nutrition and the connection with that in the body and mind-body medicine and movement. And I started implementing a lot more of those, those things together. And uh, through that, kind of slowly over the years, of course, it's a lot of trial and error. You do get better um, and it, it does get better. But um, it was a lot of trial and error at the beginning and trying all kinds of dietary things, trying all kinds of things with movement, with pacing, with nutrition. And then through doing that, I kind of found almost like a, a pathway. And when I started, uh, when I trained to become a coach, I started helping people kind of implement this step by step. So kind of we go through three steps, which is kind of regulating the nervous system, pacing being that first step and really kind of the base. Um, second step being looking more at nutrition and the gut and uh, the enteric nervous system. And the third step, of course, looking at movement and how we can get our, our body kind of back where it used to be. So that's, um, that's kind of a bit in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so before you took matters into your own hands, when you were at your sickest on a score of one to 10, what would your quality of life have been like with 10 being the best? It was 
probably a three or a four. I think the only thing that helped it kind of be higher is the fact that there were some days where I felt like maybe things were okay. It's misleading, right? You have maybe like a slightly good day and that feels like, okay, I, oof, maybe I'm getting past this. And then the next day it's a complete one and you're sitting in the on the bath. Mostly I had a lot of GI problems. So I was a lot of times on the bathroom floor, you know, crying and in pain and just, you know, the 3 a.m. scrolling through Facebook and just feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. Um, and what would you say it is now? Ooh, um, yeah, I would say it's 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 an eight or a nine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long would you say it took you to get there? That's a good question. Um, well, the, because there was a lot of trial and error, because I did a lot of it on my own, um, easily I would say maybe four, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And did you in the end find a doctor who who would help you? Well, actually, so I did actually find um, a specialist from the UK that I spoke with. Um, It was it was private. And I was in um, I wasn't living in the UK, obviously. And this was really the first person who knew a lot about POTS. And he encouraged me and he said, look, there are things you can do. And just just having one person that at least said, I believe in you. This is a real condition, but there are things you can do to get better or to have a higher quality of life made honestly a massive difference in the symptoms. Mm hmm. And you said that the symptoms started very early on in your life. I mean, how old were you? Around three or four is when some of those first symptoms started. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, so you've had it most of your life. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, and I noticed this with a lot of people who have POTS too, they kind of have it or maybe, you know, they'll be like, oh, interesting. I fainted a few times when I was a kid or they have kind of things or maybe their parents will say they were craving a lot of salt as kids because I, with people who have pots are obviously eating a lot of salt and they're craving this too so it'll be interesting things I think that people look back and then mostly as as teenagers a lot of people get diagnosed with um, maybe an anxiety disorder and they'll look back and they'll be like wait a second my anxiety symptoms were only bad when I was upright when I was standing and maybe it was actually pots the whole time so I mostly people that get diagnosed as adults they look back and they start seeing there were a few things that were off, not maybe enough to kind of warrant them, you know, they, they were still able to participate in day-to-day life, but there were things that were off. And same here, I wasn't, you know, like bed-bound as a, as a kid. It was just things that were just weird. And the doctors were like, I don't know. I mean, they did tests and they're like, maybe she's just, that's just how she is. Mm-hmm. So the patients that you help coach, do you see a lot of similarities between all their different histories? There, yeah, there's a big, there's a big overlap with, again, some of the, maybe looking at even the the childhood histories, kind of with some of the symptoms when they start looking back. Um, And then just in general with the symptoms, obviously, fine, palpitations being one of them, but then the fatigue, and then even after, after maybe they have something a little bit more like exercise or something that's a little bit more taxing obviously the the p and the post-exertional malaise coming on uh then a lot of the other diagnoses that often come along with this like obviously like SIBO and um even you know MCAS and things like that so a lot of the symptoms just kind of it's all I think part of that same umbrella of autonomic dysfunction dysautonomia mm-hmm. must be very difficult um to get this diagnosis you know the, the length of time it takes I mean, what would you say from your um, patients, the length of time it takes them to get diagnosed? 
So before I know the statistics even said, I think it was more than five years, maybe even almost yeah, six years to get diagnosed. I have seen those since COVID, because now a lot of people have long COVID and now maybe 70% of people that have long COVID have some kind of dysautonomia. It is significantly easier. So now I do hear kind of regularly when I speak with people, people saying I had COVID, things were kind of okay. A month or two later, I started having chest pains. I started feeling very unwell. I went maybe to the ER and they told me, oh, this sounds like long COVID and this could be potentially POTS. So I actually have heard a lot of stories like that where it's, it's, that's just the truth. It is nice when you get diagnosed within maybe, you know, at least a year or something like that, instead of having to wait five years, because during that time, you don't know what's going on and you don't know what to do. Like even the fact that, you know, sitting down and standing up, like you're kind of trying to figure out, is this, you don't even know it's positional. I honestly didn't realize it because some of the symptoms also happen when you're sitting down. I didn't realize that position made such a huge difference. And it's so basic kind of, but just knowing what it is and learning more about it, learning your body, learning how to treat your body instead of kind of everybody giving you an opinion and saying, oh, maybe it could be a heart attack, or maybe it could be this, or maybe it could be, for me too, they were looking at, you know, like lupus and other things where they were starting to go in in those directions. Mm -hmm. And what's the longest length of time it has taken somebody that you know to be diagnosed? Well, so I do, I do work with people who are in their 60s, and they started having symptoms when they were in their 20s or teens. And um, obviously, yeah, 40 years ago, I think they would get diagnosed with um, usually maybe some kind of heart condition is what they would say they have. They're like, oh, it's not, there's nothing wrong with your heart, but we're just going to kind of call it that. So yeah, there are people who really have yeah, maybe 20, 20 plus years, and they finally got diagnosed only a lot later on in life. Hmm. How do you think it affects people mentally with having all these different symptoms, with seeing so many different doctors, trying so many different treatments, but you don't feel any better. I mean, how does that affect someone when you're not believed? I think the biggest problem with that is that it just, you lose trust in your own body. And I would say that's one of the biggest problems because you might end up actually pushing through a lot more than you need to. So, you know, there's people who are still, you know, having obviously full-time jobs and, and kids and just trying to just, they continue kind of pushing and they're like, well, you know, either way, this thing that I have, nobody believes in it. Like I had a particular client who her spouse didn't really believe in this. Her family didn't. And she's like, my biggest goal is not to be bed bound because if I ever get to that point, I have nobody to take care of me. And the fact that she had to keep pushing her body, pushing her body constantly was, um, it, I mean, it was really hard. It was really hard emotionally on her and it was really hard physically on her. Hmm. I interviewed a lady the other day and she said the biggest thing was for somebody to actually listen and hear what she was saying rather than, you know, you're imagining it. There's nothing wrong with you. You look fine. And I think we've all been there when you felt so broken inside and then have somebody to tell you that, you know, you look fine. <laughs> it's very hard, isn't it? Literally just the act. So I usually run um, groups is what I mostly run now. So I, I still do a little bit of one-on-one coaching, but it's mostly small groups. And when somebody comes in and they'll be like, you know, so I have um, these symptoms of the palpitations. And then sometimes there'll be maybe a, a few in a row or in the morning I wake up like this. And then you see other people, everybody in the room nodding along. And then you could almost see like a little light goes off. Like, wait a second, you guys get it. And, you know, even things when I was at the, the Saranomia, um conference this, this year, 
um, somebody I think was was laying down on the floor because they were feeling unwell and nobody was stopping to say, are you okay? Is everything like nobody was kind of freaking out. Everybody was like, do you need some salt? Do you need some water? Like, what do you need me to get you? It was a very casual thing. Cause too, when you're mostly, I think when you're feeling unwell and you're in public and then people make this really big deal about it and maybe they're like, oh, do you need me to call an ambulance or do you need me to do this? And it doesn't really help the situation. So being in an environment like that where people understood what you're going through and nobody even kind of batted an eyelash, they just said, what, what do you need? What help do you need from me right now? What, you know, it's, it's just, it's magical. It doesn't, I don't know. That's all I could, that's all how, the only word I have heard. I think the, the thing is, is not to feel completely isolated and alone. You know, that there are other people who totally get it what you're going through that's yeah, amazing it makes a huge well, difference could you give us um a case history of a patient that you've helped we have like five minutes let me think of maybe somebody more recent yeah, so this is somebody I was actually working with quite quite recently, and um, I actually have an interview with this person that will be kind of coming out soon. So they uh, were working full time, so they had a full time job, and um, through the symptoms that they kind of had were there was obviously all the things with the, the, the chest pains and the palpitations. With this, they also have a few other diagnoses like other autoimmune conditions as well as um, diabetes, and they started even getting tremors. And at that point, too, the doctors started trying to investigate into all kinds of different areas too, because the tremors got them concerned that they were thinking it might be something else, something else neurological that's happening. And pretty much the, the symptoms day to day, they couldn't go to the grocery store. Um, they were able to work from home. So obviously that helped with some of the, the work they were able to lay down and work and their brain was still more or less okay. But when they went out, they had to, if they went to the grocery store, they would have to rest for 24 hours afterwards. And um, that made obviously things very, very difficult to interact in day-to-day -day life and just to do anything except pretty much their life was largely kind of working and then um, sleeping and trying to just recover from, from work. And uh, a few things we did. So kind of when I walk through people like these kind of three steps, when it comes to pacing and nervous system, one of the big things too, they realize is kind of how to implement more breaks throughout their day so that their energy was not really kind of going up, down, up, down, and that they weren't always triggering their symptoms. So with that, they were able to implement these breaks. And a big thing here actually was looking at their relationship with their spouse and asking the spouse for a lot more help. I think a lot of people struggle with this too, um, with trying to ask for support and help. And it's so difficult when you're you know, you kind of feel like you have to go at it alone. And then how is my spouse going to react? Are they going to want to help me? So a big part of this too, again, was asking for help, was at, honestly with being open with their peers as, at work as well when they need more help. Like right now they're about to go um, traveling on a conference and they're actually going to speak with somebody that they're working with to help them just so that they have somebody that like there that kind of understands a little bit of what's going on in case they feel unwell. So kind of, you know, getting a support group around them was really helpful. The nutrition piece as well, looking at um, their diet, their day-to-day -day diet. So trying to do an elimination diet and trying to see too what kind of triggers were there, but as well as cleaning up the diet generally, obviously looking at what's maybe, what are some of the things that are inflammatory? Uh, how do they just kind of have a, a lower carb kind of Mediterranean style diet? You know, nothing super complicated. I know with diets, we tend to overcomplicate it, but just kind of, and I think actually you've spoken well, on this show that I've, I've heard you speak with people about this, like just, you know, kind of keeping it simple too, keeping it simple and healthy. We don't need to make it super complicated. And then last is too, starting to focus again on movement, trying to focus on 
getting the confidence to move again to like trying to figure out, is it okay if I move now or not? Meaning how are the symptoms? Are these symptoms okay for me to move with them? Or is it going to cause kind of more, um, not more damage, but more, more fatigue and more symptoms if I move. So really trying to work with that. And towards the end, um, through kind of combination of that, through a combination of, I think of having a community of people that understand what you're going through, which honestly, I don't think you could really, that's not necessarily an action step you're taking, but it's more of a feeling of being in a place where other people get it and they're with you and you're not alone. They are now, same thing, so they're, they're, they're working, but they're able to go to the grocery store. They don't have to recover after going to the grocery store. They obviously are planning now, same thing for, for a work trip, which is something that before they didn't even imagine. They're able to engage in hobbies again. I think they really enjoyed um, like kind of doing more artistic stuff after work. So they're able to do that. Their, their relationship with their spouse has improved too, because there's more, the spouse kind of feels on board too. In a way they feel too, almost encouraged to, to help their, their partner with like, okay, let me help you with these boundaries. They're actually working slightly fewer hours. Um, like they're still working 40 hours, but they have more of a work-life balance. So all these things together, now, yeah, they, they're, they're, the tremors have disappeared fully. Actually, they might happen, I think, maybe once every once every few months, there's like one or something, which is nothing compared to daily. The, and yeah, all the symptoms are pretty much kind of uh, more than 50% uh, reduced. They're completely kind of like halved. And um, that's just in, in a, four months. Wow, that is totally amazing. Well, you're doing a wonderful job helping and assisting these people? I try to act more as a facilitator. So I think I get kind of people together and I try to facilitate the conversations that are going on. Obviously, I think some of the videos that I that I create in the portal help people kind of walk them through step by step, but it's largely, I think, just facilitating and seeing what, what they need. It's not very directive. I'm not telling you, you need to do this. Yes. To yes. figuring out what works for you, right? Because every one of us has such a different history in, in life. That's right. Well, thank you very much for having shared all your experience with us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.